Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about tobacco and e-cigarette use among young people with Dr. Grace Kong. Dr. Kong is an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Grace, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Sure. Um, so I'm associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Yale, and I have a PhD in clinical psychology with specialization in child and adolescent psychology. And my research is focused on preventing tobacco use among youth through conducting research that could inform policies and also develop and disseminate prevention and cessation interventions that are relevant to youth and that has appealed to youth. So let's take a step back and really talk about uh, substance use and, and tobacco in particular amongst youth. You know, my perception is that if we look at just tobacco use in general, that rates are declining. Do we find that it's declining amongst youth as well? Or are the youth still engaging in tobacco use and other substances as much as they used to? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, when we're looking at tobacco use trends among youth, um, the trends are changing rapidly. So when we think about tobacco, we think about cigarettes um, and cigarette, and, and rightfully so. Cigarette smoking um, is what causes cancer, um, and they're the most used tobacco product among adults. But the cigarette smoking use rates have decreased tremendously among youth and over the general population in the last few, two decades. So cigarettes are addictive and deadly product that causes cancer, but there are other like tobacco products that are emerging in the market, which are addictive and have serious health consequences, health consequences or even unknown health consequences. And when we talk about um, tobacco trends um, in, in youth, we have to talk about e-cigarettes. Uh, these are electronic nicotine products electronic nicotine product that contains propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin, and it contains different concentrations of nicotine and, and thousands of different flavors, and it could be customized in many different ways. Um, so, you know, for example, it, the, the level of the Excel vapor could be controlled, so you could really have a, a large vapor that people could use to vape tricks, or as little vapor that cannot be seen, and so that people could be using these devices discreetly in schools. Um, and concerningly, concerningly, this nicotine level increased over time. So, you know, an example is Juul. Juul is an e-cigarette brand that became extremely popular among youth, and these are shaped like flash drive. Um, and has nicotine salt, which makes nicotine a lot easier to inhale without the harsh effects. And it comes with diverse flavors. And this allowed very high level of nicotine to be in these e-cigarette products. So e-cigarettes currently are the highest tobacco use, uh, tobacco product use in, among U.S. youth in the past several years. And so with that, um, Grace, do we find that um, as our youth are, are using more e-cigarettes, um, are, are, and you mentioned that it's addictive, do we know the health consequences of these e-cigarettes as well? Yeah, so um, currently um, the long-term health effects of e-cigarettes are currently unknown and are being researched. Um, they're still fairly new. It's been in the market uh, for the past decade or so. 
Um, so we don't really know the long-term health effects. There are some studies that showing of, of, of acute effects. And we do hear anecdotally from youth um, about some other um, health issues that they're having, which includes uh, breathing issues, coughing, just chest pains. So there's more work that needs to be done to really understand the effect of e-cigarettes use in the long-term health effects. And if you... If, if if I understood you correctly, there, there still is a high concentration of nicotine in these products. And so when we think about um, regular cigarettes, one of the perceptions I think that, that we have is that the nicotine is actually one of the elements that causes um, the long-term effects of lung cancer and other cancers. Um, and so is it fair to um, hypothesize that e-cigarettes will have a, a similar um, a, a similar effect given the, the high concentration of nicotine? Or is it more about how that nicotine is delivered? Yeah, that's. I think it's a both, right? It's a level of uh, con- concentration level of nicotine that's in the product as well as the power in which the nicotine gets um, delivered. So it is true that over the years, um, e-cigarette concentration has increased tremendously in this e-cigarette products. Um, so Juul is a good example of one that came in the market around 2017. Um, and that's sort of created this um, huge youth use in e-cigarette use. So after Juul became um, uh, somewhat regulated, so FDA now um, said that e-cigarette cartridges like Juul cannot come in appealing flavors other than tobacco and menthol. So that allowed room for other products like disposable e-cigarettes, which come in as equal to or even higher nicotine level than Juul. So this, you know, nicotine is what makes the products addictive. And, and you know, what we see in youth in Connecticut um, is that they're addicted. So we have an intervention program um, that we're delivering um, cognitive behavior therapy as well as incentives to help youth to quit. And what we see from these kids is that they're really addicted to nicotine and they're using e-cigarettes constantly and they need help to quit. So, um, so yes, so they come, they're as addictive as cigarettes are. And we're seeing youth who are really addicted to these products. And they live in a, we live in a market, free market where, you know, it's not just e-cigarettes, there are cigarettes and other combustible tobacco in the market. So if they're addicted to e-cigarettes, they're also, they could be using other products, which also increases their health risk into getting um, cancer in the future. So one of the questions before we get into um, smoking cessation and and trying to uh, help kids who are addicted to e-cigarettes quit, one of the questions I always have is why do people start to begin with? I mean, do we have a sense of that? I mean, is it the perception that this is cool Um, or like why why do people start uh, to begin with? Yeah, yeah. So tobacco use typically starts in adolescence, right? So we know that like 90 some percent of adult smokers start smoking before they're 18 years old. And in fact, 99% of adult smokers, they start before they're 26. So um, adolescent and young adult age is when a lot of this tobacco use begins. So why do they start? You know, they start because it's cool. Um, they come in many different appealing flavors. Of course, cigarettes are different. It only comes in menthol and tobacco flavor. 
um, other appealing flavors are disallowed in cigarettes. But that doesn't mean that other tobacco product doesn't, right? So cheap cigars come in multiple different appealing flavors are sold in in-person stores such as gas station convenience stores. Um, e-cigarettes, again, comes in more than 7,000 flavors. And they're also marketed um, differently. So we live in, you know, in, in a connected digital media world, right, where social media really dominates um, especially youth social interactions. And that's also been sort of uh, pushed forward because of the COVID pandemic, where people are more online more. Um, so these are marketed on social media. They're, they're portrayed as cool, aspirational, fun products. Um, so these are problems um, that's, that kind of um, drives young people to start using the product. And so are there any interventions before we get to trying to get people to quit? Are there any interventions out there trying to get people not to start? I mean, it seems to me that primary prevention would start there. Yes. So um, I think people now recognize that, for example, e-cigarette use is a problem in 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 America um, that has really highlighted the need for prevention and cessation interventions. Um, so currently, a lot of effort is made by the FDA to develop and disseminate prevention campaigns. For example, they have the uh, a campaign called the Real Cause Campaign, which highlights themes that could appeal to youth. So for example, educating youth about e-cigarettes, that they're just like cigarettes, that puts them at risk for addiction and other health consequences. And that older also highlights that um, e-cigarettes contain other dangerous chemicals such as acrolin that causes irreversible lung damage, formaldehyde, which is a cancer-causing chemicals, and so on. And these campaigns are, are um, disseminated on digital media uh, platforms like social media and other like Spotify, Pandora, and so on. They also have campaign campaign flyers and materials that are distributed to schools because we know that a lot of e-cigarette use happens in schools, especially school bathrooms. So um, they have these flyers and um, um, that they could post in these settings. The National Cancer Institute also has uh, initiatives to help people to quit particularly in their teen.smokefree.gov, they have uh, specific advices and, and skills that youth could access um, to help them to quit. You know, despite these programs out there, you know, there's still a great need. We get calls from schools all over Connecticut saying that, that, that e-cigarette use is a problem in their school and the punitive measures that they have actually do not work. So there's really a need to develop and test interventions that appeal to youth because one intervention does not fit all, um, um, and that that and we want an intervention that works, right? So we need research to, to develop intervention that appeals to youth and that actually works. Yeah, the one uh, preventative measure that I wanted to ask you about before we get into your intervention is um, taxation. I mean, it seems to me that in regular cigarette use, um, that when people tried, you know, education, they tried putting, you know, gruesome pictures onto cigarette packages, they tried, um, you know, having some barriers to uh, purchase, so you have to show your ID, it's often behind a locked cabinet. It seems to me, and you know this literature better than I do, um, that one of the things that had the biggest impact was when um, there was such significant taxation that the cost uh, really drove people to make the decision between, you know, 
do I smoke or do I eat? And and that that often was the kind of extreme measure that that got people to um, choose not to to smoke. Um, have people tried that for e-cigarettes for the youth? I mean, it would seem to me that um, adolescents have a, a smaller pocketbook than than adults. Right, right, yeah, and and that's a good point. Um, I think that the pricing would help, high price cost would help youth to stay away from e-cigarettes. But it's also important to keep in mind that um, youth are, some youth are not purchasing their own e-cigarettes. They're really borrowing from their friends, getting it from their friends, getting it from their parents who think these are safer product to use. So um, other thing to keep in mind is that while e-cigarettes might be more costly, there are other really cheap products out there. For example, cigarillos and little cigars are are cheaper than than cigarettes, and they're sold widely in other places. So, um, yes, I do think that increasing prices is one strategy to help youth stay away from tobacco products, but it has to be more comprehensive, and there has to be op- other approaches um, that's, that's, that will eventually keep youth out of um, using these products. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about the other strategies, including the ones that you've uh, been working on and developing to help get youth the help that they need to quit uh, smoking and and avoid e-cigarettes altogether. Uh, We're going to take a short break for a medical minute and learn more about uh, health disparities and substance use amongst youth with my guest, Dr. Grace Kong. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital where their survivorship clinic is available to educate survivors on the prevention, detection, and treatment of complications resulting from cancer treatment. SmiloCancerHospital.org The American Cancer Society estimates that more than 65,000 Americans will be diagnosed with head and neck cancer this year, making up about 4% of all cancers diagnosed. When detected early, however, head and neck cancers are easily treated and highly curable. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for head and neck cancers. Yale Cancer Center was recently awarded grants from the National Institutes of Health to fund the Yale Head and Neck Cancer Specialized Program of Research Excellence, or SPORE, to address critical barriers to treatment of head and neck squamous cell carcinoma due to resistance to immune, DNA-damaging, and targeted therapy. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Grace Kong. We're talking about health disparities and substance use amongst youth. And before the break, Grace was telling us about how tobacco use amongst the youth is really trending upwards, but more so in the form of e-cigarettes. We talked a little bit about measures that can be taken to stop people from actually starting to smoke. But Grace, let's get into some of your work now, looking at how we can help youth to quit uh, smoking and and quit their use of e-cigarettes. Can you tell us more about your work and what you've been finding? Yes. Um, so um, we have a study that's funded by American Heart Association to develop interventions to help youth to quit 
And um, and and this is a, a project that's been led by Dr. Suchita Krishnasaran, who I've worked with uh, for many years. And and we initially started this project um, with cigarette smoking youth, you know, many years ago before e-cigarettes came on came on the market and became popular. And now we're extending this to e-cigarettes. And what we're doing is we're providing individualized cognitive behavior therapy skills um, that teaches youth to deal with withdrawal symptoms to avoid um, high-risk situations that um, that puts them in risk for vaping and uh, a plan, the individualized personal plans and as well as skills to help them manage the stress, anger, depression that may put them at risk for vaping. Um, and we also incentivize them to stay abstinent um, from vaping. Um, and, um, and so that's the uh, intervention that we're currently uh, conducting in Connecticut high schools as well as to young adults. And so tell us how that's been working. I mean, it seems to me that people would need to be motivated to quit, even to kind of contemplate participating in the study. Yeah, so it's interesting. What we're seeing now are youth who are motivated to quit. I think several years has has passed where they thought it was cool, they're doing it, and now they're feeling some health effects, immediate health effects. And so um, they want to make these positive changes for themselves. And 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 for them, it's hard to find uh, resources to to really help them to quit. So we are in schools uh, recruiting participants who want to quit, and as, as well as we're on social media. And we're finding that kids are motivated to quit at this point. And so... Have you tell us more about what you've been finding in terms of the quit rates? Are are um, are all youth uh, able to quit, and are all youth able to access uh, the services that you're providing? So we are conducting research right now, so we do not know the quit rates. However, just looking across the literature, um, quit rate is pretty low. Um, that's why there is a really strong need to to develop interventions to help people quit and stay quit over time. Um, so we do not know the quit rates right now. But if you're looking at the cigarette smoking literature, again, I think you see a more higher quit rate when rewards are provided for quitting, which is called contingency management. And that's in the upwards of 30 to 40% of quit rate. Um, but again, the the challenge with this is, is really maintaining motivation to quit over a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that incentivizing people to adopt good behaviors, whether it's quitting smoking or losing weight or doing pretty much anything you want, one of the the issues that I always think about is how sustainable is that? I mean, if you're going to pay people to quit, the moment you stop paying them, the incentive now is gone and it would be easier to relapse. And so if you keep paying them, well, that turns out not to be very sustainable over the long run, right? Right, right. And and so I think combining contingency management with other skills like cognitive behavior therapy. So when people are saying that, you know, they can't stand their withdrawal symptoms or or they don't know how to um, deal with these high-risk situations, we're really teaching them skills to deal with these situations that hopefully that they could learn and, and, and try again um, uh, in the future, because we know from cigarette smoking literature that many people quit several times before they quit for good. So just having this standard situation where we're they're taught these lessons will hopefully give them skills that they could really use in the in the long run. 
Can you talk a little bit about your focus on marginalized youth and um, and the disproportionate levels of of tobacco related cancers and other illnesses in that population and and what you're trying to do to really target that population um, to help them to quit? Yes. So when you look at tobacco use rates as an aggregate, um, we see that marginalized youth, such as youth who are Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, or American Indians, are more likely to use commercialized tobacco products. We're also seeing exponentially higher use rates across all different tobacco products across LGBTQ population of youth. Um, and um, But when you're also looking at specific tobacco, we see uh, different risk in marginalized communities. Forever, for for example, if you just look at tobacco use rate, you see that Black youth are using, you know, um, less. They're smoking less cigarettes and they're using less tobacco products overall. But if you break it down by tobacco product, what you see is that Black youth are using cheap cigars, little cigarillo, a lot higher at a lot higher rate. Um, and this is problematic because cigars also cause cancer. Um, and um, if you again, so if you break it down by different tobacco products, you do see these differences in marginalized groups, which might um, which might contribute to their overall cancer rate in the future. Um, other example is smokeless tobacco. We also see that um, smokeless tobacco tend to be used more by rural rural youth or also male and um, athletes. And this is problematic too, because, um, you know, um, smokeless tobacco has been linked to oral cancer as well as other cancer in the stomach and so on because of digest, digest, because they're digested. And so, you know, it seems to me that as we think about different communities, they'll, they'll each have their own particular tastes and preferences um, for tobacco products. But when you think about the LGBTQ community, for example, who has a higher uh, rate of tobacco use, I wonder whether one strategy to uh, help reduce uh, tobacco use, particularly in that community, is to engage the LGBT community themselves. I mean, when we think about the AIDS epidemic, the reason why we now have gotten AIDS under control is in large part a great credit to the LGBTQ community who really rallied together and were very proactive about educating um, their own community members and um, and being proactive in terms of programs. I wonder whether um, some initiatives have been taken to really engage that community in tobacco cessation as well. Yeah, I think there are. Um, so, you know, tobacco control community, I have seen a huge shift in the focus in marginalized communities. So there is a lot of studies uh, that's ongoing, uh, on that's underway, that's focused on these populations. Um, um, so, yes, getting people from the community involved in the com- in the conversation to advocate for tobacco control policies to improve the health is is a really important key element. Um, I also want to talk a little about social media because a lot of, um, you know, the social norms are reinforced through social media. And I think especially when we're talking about targeting youth and providing interventions towards youth, um, you know, having policies in place to restrict targeted tobacco promotion to these marginalized groups or vulnerable groups is also very important in, in the overall um, climate um, to reduce tobacco use. 
Yeah. I mean, when we think about social media, though, I, I, I think that there's two prongs that one could take. One is to restrict disinformation, um, advertising of uh, harmful products, etc. But the other is really to engage key influencers. I mean, I'm thinking about um, why is it that people think that smoking is cool? Oftentimes, especially historically, when we think about tobacco use, it was because, you know, there was the marble, marble man. I can't even say that correctly anymore. <laughs> but, but the whole, the whole perception of, um, this being really cool through what was then, uh, popularized media figures. And so when we think about social media, I wonder whether another tactic is to engage key influencers in a positive quit campaign. Um, so instead of saying we're not going to advertise um, e-cigarettes on social media, which is fine, but may be perceived as a form of censorship, whether a, an equally or perhaps even more powerful uh, suggestion might be to get key influencers, you know, the the rap artists, the movie stars, the um, the, the hip hop artists, etc., um, to come out and to, in a very forceful way, say to their own constituents, the people who look up to them as role models, look, smoking sucks <laughs> and, and people should quit. Um, and, and I wonder whether um, that has been contemplated as well in the social media space. Yeah, I, you know, people are trying to figure out how to best utilize social media to to disseminate these prevention messages. And I think you're absolutely right. Getting, you know, getting influencers or celebrities to relay these anti-vaping messages is going to be important because we do know that when they talk about pro-tobacco use messaging, that works. So it makes sense to start looking at social media as a way to um, utilize some of these techniques that works to to promote these messages. It has not been done yet and it has not been done well. So it's still in a very beginning stages of how can, you know, we're still asking this question. like, how can we use social media to better promote healthy behaviors, including um, tobacco use, not using tobacco use. Yeah. Yeah. And getting back to kind of some of the disparities that you had mentioned, you know, you wonder as well, I think I'd be really interested in any research that's out there in terms of differences in cancer rates amongst different products. So when you talk about, you know, African-American men, for example, our youth using more of the cigarellos, um, well, does that have a higher rate of of cancer risk or a lower rate um or or is it do, does the modality of um nicotine or tobacco consumption not make a difference in terms of um cancer risk that you know what any kind of tobacco is still tobacco and it's still going to increase your risk of you know a dozen different kinds of cancers Right. And I think that's an important question because of the the variety of tobacco mar- products that's out there, right? Because I think the question now is like, which, which tobacco product is most har- harmful and which is less harmful? And that kind of research is still not done. Even, even asking about cigarillos and cigar use is more of a recent thing. Um, you know, 10 years ago, people didn't even ask people these questions. <laughs> so when you're looking to like differentiate which 
cigar products, for example, have more health risk? Even that question is hard to ask. It's hard to differentiate. And also people are using multiple products. So, for example, cigar smokers tend to smoke cigarettes. So it's hard to also identify which product has greater risk because they're being used together. So it's a great question, an important question, but hard to answer currently. Dr. Grace Kong is an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.